0: Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Holland, welcome to another one. This episode is supported by my course How to Get Started Being Freelance. So if you or someone you know is looking to get their freelance business off and running in a much easier, simpler, more confident way, shall we say? Then please do check it out. Go to beingfreelance.com and click on course. Right now though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for designer Oladelemi <laughs> Ajibile
1: always give the actual value of the services you're offering even though you'll be doing it for free so whenever i'm doing something for someone i would always tell them um, this is the actual value of what you are getting for free so they know how valuable it is and what i'm actually doing for them under promise and over deliver when i'm delivering the results i make it extraordinary because i know that my business strives based on referrals and recommendations so i put in my best for any project it's not really about the destination now. It's the process that matters. So start something, and give yourself, you know, time. Eventually, if you if you put in the work, you make something up for yourself. Yes, there is Oli who is based
0: in Nigeria. His story coming up very soon indeed. How are you? you okay? You're looking good, I must say. So yes, here we go with another episode of Being Freelance, 251 for those keeping count. And you can find all of those episodes, of course, wherever you get your uh, podcast. make sure you've subscribed or followed. Have you t- seen the change for terminology recently? it's not always subscribe now it was so easy like and subscribe we've been saying it for years now they want us to say follow thanks for that anyway whatever just make sure that you've clicked whatever button your app needs that you get the latest episodes when they come out each week but you can also find them at beingfreelance.com where you can find articles and the book club details about the non-employee of the week awards the community the videos it's all there beingfreelance.com for each episode we do a transcription and show notes we have Links through for each guest, and remember, it's not about what they do for a living, it's all about the being freelance. So, please don't just listen to the ones that do similar things to what you do. Go back, trawl through the archive, and give everybody a go. Right, I'll shut up, crack on, shall we? And saying hello to freelance designer Ola Ajibile. Hi, hello, as ever. How about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance?
1: So, I started being freelance uh, while I was in the university. That was in 2011. The first time I understood what freelancing was was when I decided that I didn't want to pursue um, a full-blown career in architecture because I studied architecture in the university. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having to work for someone and not really get too many results or get paid what you're actually worth was not it for me. So uh, I didn't want to settle for anything less. And I made up my mind right from there that I would just work for maybe a year or two after school and then decided to build my own thing. So um, I started off with freelancing by just doing free jobs for people that were around me. Um, I remember very clearly then there was a particular church I was serving with and they needed graphic design, you know, um, services and I had to offer it to them for free just so that I could uh, understand the design field and the design industry first and the business of design before I then went all out to make it a business. So it wasn't something I planned out at first, but my love for architecture and design sort of, you know, gravitated into something else and it led me to what I'm doing right now. Cool. So were you
0: teaching yourself design or was that tied up within what you were doing anyway?
1: I Architecture had a number of principles that apply to design because we learned about the design principles right from time because in mm-hmm. architecture they teach you the basics of graphic um, graphic de- gra- design graphics and then um, architecture as itself on in itself the fundamentals of design the principles and everything that came with design so it was very easy to have that transition from um, buildings in designs to um, graphics or visual design. It was, mm. there wasn't really much difference. So I learned a number of things in the architecture school, but then when I got out, uh, you know, being a designer, graphic design and branding identity, uh, almost everything I learned to, or I know how to do today was through consistent practice. Whenever I saw something that fascinated me, I practiced it, I practiced it till I became um, very, very good with it. So, probably I watched a, a YouTube tutorial once or twice, and after that, I practice till I don't have to go back to those tutorials. So, I would say I'm self-taught, but a number of these things started from School of Architecture. So, it gave me a little bit of understanding on um, what design is and what design shouldn't be, and everything was just me doing my own thing, practicing mm. up until where I am now. And so... Those first jobs, so that you
0: could kind of test the waters, were free. Yeah. How did you progress to to
1: getting paid for it? I, I remember my very first paid job was um, a business card design from a church member. So because I've been doing a lot of free jobs for the church and um, a few businesses around my, my neighborhood, because um, any business I patronized then, I saw that they had this... Okay, so in Nigeria, you usually have this um, Coca-Cola branding on most buildings to just show that this is a business. So you sell something, or it's a uh, funny. Um, let's say it's a grocery store. Coca-Cola does the branding for them, and then you can see Coca-Cola's name on the you know on the storefront. So mm. it was really interesting to me, but I'm like, why can't they have their own personalized banners? And then I volunteered to do that for them, so I just took the name of the business took the location, and then designed the banner for them. So when I did that, I did that for about seven to eight different businesses that I frequently visit. And I showed it to them that, okay, so I feel you can actually make more sales using something more personalized. And they really loved it. And many of them wanted to pay for it, but I just told them I did it out of the goodwill of my own art because I love what you do. I support their business. And that was my own way of giving back to them. And whenever people saw... The designs I did for them. They would always ask, so who did this for you? And the business owners would say, oh, it's one of our customers. It's actually really expensive, even though they didn't pay me. And that was how I started getting my first set of jobs. So it was two referrals from this persons and from a few persons I did free designs for in the church. Um, anytime someone asked, who did this for you? They mention my name. And then many of them say, oh, it's really expensive and it's really good. So... Maybe you would consider working with him, and that was how it all started. I love. Did you tell them to say that you were really expensive? Because that's brilliant. <laughs> Actually, uh, in school of architecture, they taught us to always give the actual value of the services you're offering, even though you'd be doing it for free. So, whenever I'm doing something for someone, I would always tell them, um, "This is the actual value of what you're uh, getting for free," so they know how valuable it is, and what I'm actually doing for them. So that made it easy for them to be able to tell others that, oh, it's actually expensive, even though they didn't pay a dime to work with me or to, you know, get what I did for them. I think that's one of the main things I really learned from School of Architecture because every other thing mm. was quite strange because you know how school is. They teach you something that is not, that can be not like, that doesn't, like you can't really practice if you want to go all out. Once yes. you start to um, find things for your own self and see how it works, so yeah. No, that is
0: great, because I think that's a trap people can get into, you know, like doing something for free, and then they don't really know what you would have charged for it. So, exactly. Yeah, that's great that you did that from the start. So you were doing those jobs while you were still studying, were you? Yes, I was. So how did you have the confidence to then sort of go it alone as a as a freelancer, or did you go and get a job when you finished school?
1: All right, so when I finished school, um there is something in Nigeria called NYSE. It's a way to um, serve the government for a year before you then start your own. Um, so it's like a way of certifying you that you went through the educational system and then you're prepared for life. So after I finished my master's, I went for that program for a year. And while I was in that program, they would... Um, make you intern with certain firms or certain companies that are in line with what you studied. So I interned with an architectural firm. It's not like I don't love architecture. I really love it. I worked for two years before I decided to go all freelance. There were a lot of things I wanted to do, but working in a night to 5 didn't allow me the opportunity to do that because I would leave the house by 7 a.m., 8 a.m. sometimes, and I would work till 5 p.m., and getting back home, I'll be tired. I couldn't even do any of my own, you know, personal things. So the, that, that freedom wasn't there, and I wasn't comfortable. I'm the kind of person that I love to, I love my, you know, freedom to express my creativity, but I couldn't because I was working for someone else. Mm. So that was when the old decision to, you know, branch out started. And while I was working in a nine-to-five, I still had a few things I was, you know, doing on the side to just make sure that I don't become, like, a creative dollar. So I, I was still pushing myself to do a few p- projects on the side. But it still wasn't, it, it wasn't that, it was it was still difficult. So I just took the decision to, you know, stop and start my own thing. And that's how I got freelance. Yeah.
0: So how did you continue to sort of like grow the clients that you were working for? So it sounds like the first ones were coming from
1: referrals for work that you did. Yeah. I created the habit of Turning clients into friends, and that's one thing I learned from um, my parents. Because we, we in in Nigeria here, my parents have a farm, and in the farm, you know, there were a couple of persons who come. When they come, like we do poultry and livestock, so when they come and they patronize us, I always see that there's a way they, you know, communicate with them to the point where like they become friends and they always come back to buy more stuff. And I was trying to understand how that was like why that was happening. Because I designed the farm when it first started because I studied architecture, so I was always in the farm to understand what was going on to just oversee things and I saw that as something I could apply to any other part of you know my life so turning people into friends and whenever I work with someone, I always make them realize that um, beyond the work I'm doing for you there is a lot more you can actually gain from you know working with me so. Take, for example, if I'm designing, let's say, a brand for someone, the logo, business cards, and everything that branding entails, I don't just stop there. I try to go a little bit further. Even though they're not paying me for the extra services, for example, I can decide to chip in um, free monthly Instagram or social media banners that they can use to promote their business after we've done our own part. And that keeps them coming back to me because they have something I'm giving to them for free. And every time they need to do something like that, they call me. Even though I'm not getting paid for it, I'm always glad to do it because it don't cost me anything. Like to design a banner probably take like, you know, 15 minutes. So that is something I can offer to do just so that I can retain them and we can work for a longer period. So if they are coming up with any major project or any new thing for their business, I'm always the go-to person because I've been able to establish that sort of relationship. But I also learned to be able to draw the line between going too far into that and, you know, still sticking to the business relationship. So that's how I keep my clients, and that's how I get more clients. So whenever I make a new client, I just try and understand if it's the kind of person I can work with long term. If it's not, once I'm done with, you know, whatever project I'm working on, I let you go. But if it's someone I feel we can still build something further then I allow that relationship to flourish because it will benefit me on the long run and also it does them a greater good.
0: Yeah, man, that's a really nice idea. I like the way you approach that, the idea of giving them just a small thing for free quite regularly Yeah, and then you'll stay on their radar in really good terms. It's, exactly. Yeah, but also not to be taken advantage of. What about what you offer? Because as a designer, I imagine you're, capable of designing lots of different things do you have like a niche offering or do you do lots of different things
1: so i do a lot of different things but i know that niching down can be a problem if you do it the wrong way so take for example i focus on branding and identity that is the logo design Um, business cards, everything you need to start up a brand or a business, that's the visuals that you need. But I realized that if I stick to that only, I'll be losing a lot of clients to other persons. And in the kind of design community we have in Nigeria here, it's very weird where you work with someone and then the person has to go to someone else to continue the services that you started. And the continuity won't be good because once the person does one thing with you, they have to go to someone else to continue. So I intentionally decided to invest in myself and build certain skills. I started, you know, video editing. I started product design and product photography just so that I can offer a one full service for someone. So take, for example, someone is coming for... um, Okay, I'll use one of the projects I did that sort of made this um, a success for me. So I Mm -hmm. worked with um, a makeup studio. They wanted to, you know, create a brand the visuals, and the identity for the the brand. And I did the identity. And I realized that they wanted to also build um, a makeup studio. And I understood the basics of interior design because I really loved interior design. So I offered them the interior design services as well. And it was easy to go ahead, do the printing, the wall montage, and everything that is needed for that particular project because I started the project right from the branding and carrying it over to the interior. It was very seamless. So it made the project really interesting and really fun compared to when um, someone is coming to me to design maybe a flyer or a business card and I didn't do the logo. The the flow won't be too interesting for me. So I decided to just find a way to make that work. But then when I, whenever I see that um, I can't work with a client after a particular, a certain stage, I you know refer them to other friends who offer those services that they're looking for. So I have a community of designers that I'm in where... If I need someone else to take over a particular job, I just I reach out to someone I know is really good and can offer those services, and you know it continues from me to the person. So I always create some sort of relationship between other designers who offer different services from me, so we can work on the same thing together, and that way I sort of become um, a middleman between the client and the designer. So let's say I start the branding. If someone needs um, UI or UX design, I refer them to someone else. Although I know how to do UI UI, UX design, but so that I don't overwhelm myself with too much work, I just, you know, let the other person have it.
0: As in you pass the client on entirely, or does it run through
1: you? So it runs through me in certain instances. If I realize that the, the, the design I'm, you know, referring the person to might not be able to handle everything at once, I become the the intermediary between the client and the designer. So I get the job, I do my own part, and then the part... So let's say it's a full-blown branding project, and they need a website, they need um, an app, and everything that comes with you know, a startup. I do the, the visual part, the branding, and then the very first part, the mm. important part for them, and then I employ another designer to come and do the UI, the UX, the mobile app design, the product, and everything that it entails. But it's all coming from me to them. So it's like I'm the one contracting out the job to these other designers. And that way it allows me to understand more about these other fields. So I won't be a a novice entirely to all these things.
0: Yeah. You mentioned like your workload. How do
1: you sort of, Manage day to day, week to week, all right. So, I am a bit of a productivity monster. <laughs> I don't know why I <laughs> said monster. I anything that has to do with productivity, I'm all out for it because I know how it can be very annoying to have a focus, have a goal, or have to do list and not get anything done. So, mm. I decided to find a way to break my daily tasks into systems in such a way that. I know what I'm supposed to be doing at every point of the time. It's not like exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, but a field or um, an idea. Um, I'll give you an example. My daily routine goes this way. Um, I don't have a consistent waking up time so because I work overnight most times. So from whenever, I, whatever time I wake up, the first hour is for myself, personal devotion, prayers, and whatever, I, whatever it is I need to do. And then after that, I do, you know, I I run, I cycle, whatever little bit of exercise I can do, and then once I'm ready to start working, that's three hours after I wake up, or four hours, the first three hours of my working hours is for client work, so whatever client work I should have done the past week or that I have currently, I get on that, and I make sure that I finish to a particular level. And then after three hours, I focus the next two hours on content creation for, my, for Instagram, for YouTube, and for my podcast. And then I take the next two hours for, you know, client work also. So I finish up client work. If I have to jump on a meeting and whatever that needs to happen, I do that, you know, for the next two hours. And after that, I take the last hour of the day. That is between 4 or 5 p.m to just reflect on what has happened throughout the day and plan for the next day. So once that is done, the remaining time from 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. is just for me. So I can decide to, you know, watch movies. I can decide to, you know, go out with friends. I can decide to do anything with that time or focus on maybe a side project I have on the side. So that way, it allows me to keep a clear mind on what I need to do at every point in time. And I'm not bothered about, oh, I'm I'm, I'm meeting this deadline and time is already out of, uh, you know, time is no longer on my side. That allows me to be flexible and at the same time, you know, be focused on what I need to do. So giving myself specific time of the day to do certain things makes things easy. Because I know the reason I'm giving client work the most of my time during work hours is because that is what pays the bills. So, and that that should be my focus at first, before any other thing would come, you know, in. So that's how I run my business and my, you know, content creation. So there's no... Okay, the reason why I actually created that plan at first was um, sometime in 2019, I experienced a period of burnout and anxiety where for three months I couldn't work, I couldn't create, I couldn't design. I was messed up because I've been working consistently for more than... Um, a year and a half without any form of rest. And I just had this mental breakdown. So I knew that if I continued that way, I would ruin my own business and I'll be able to build a career for myself. So I created those systems to allow me rest and at the same time be productive.
0: Wow. Um, <laughs> there's, there's so I mean, I love the, the, the time blocking. I, I want to ask you about the content creation, but you've just brought up like the, you know, the burnt, burnout, basically. Yeah. So you found a way to sort of get around avoiding that
1: in the future. Yeah. How did you kind of feel about it at the time? So at the time, um, it seemed as if I I was a different person because the, no, the regular me would always, I'm always active. Um, on social media, I'm always, all, I'm all over the place, making live videos, making videos, creating content almost every day. And people knew that about me that I'm the very consistent kind of a person. I always show up. So when that happened, I knew that a part of me was going to change forever. Because if I continue that way, then, you know, I wouldn't make things better. And I'm the kind of a person that I encourage other creatives to, you know, sort of start up something from nothing and be able to build something for themselves. But then it gets to a point where you get to the limit, where... If you get to that limit, you, you won't be able to do any other thing. So building that s- sort of structure allowed me to also um, leave what I've been preaching to others. And that gave me, um, it, it, it gave me fulfillment because I, I was able to now see that everything I've been talking about in the past, that were theories, could actually be practiced and can become a reality. And that's what I've been living on for the past three years consistently. Um, I knew that burnout is inevitable. It happens almost every time. But then you can actually reduce it to the barest minimum. And one way I do that is even within the work period I was talking about, I do this um, focus peaking system I saw on someone's YouTube channel. I can't remember exactly who now. And they talked about how you walk 90 minutes stretch or... You know, two hour stretch, and then you rest for thirty minutes or twenty minutes, depending on what system you're working with. And I was able to do that. So I did. um So I do ninety minute stretch of work, and then I take twenty minutes break, and then you know I do that over and over again. So I don't have to take any long break in between work. Just thirty minutes break, you know, per per ninety minutes, and then I can go another you know ninety minutes, and that way. I can go 18 hours you know, just working on a particular project without getting tired or getting you know, burnt out because I take periodic breaks in between um, you know, the times. I love the way
0: you are also prioritizing your own content creation. As you say, it doesn't necessarily pay for bills like the yeah. client work, but it's still something you dedicate time to each day. Yeah. So
1: what is it that you do? All right, so I create content um, about design, lifestyle and about design and productivity basically creativity and productivity for mm-hmm. creatives so i i host a podcast called the simple creative and i do something very similar to this i interview other creatives in different fields who have been able to start up something from nothing because when i was starting out as a designer or as a freelancer i didn't really have a lot of persons i could learn from because you know it in 2011 it wasn't really something that was you know big in nigeria so I learned mostly from um, people in the U.S. and in the U.K., and their own systems were quite different from ours here. So uh, I decided to now find a way to use my own experiences that I've gained over the few years I've been doing what I'm doing to help other creators who are coming up to be able Mm -hmm. to learn and understand how to do it because uh, you don't have to make certain mistakes if you can learn from persons who have done it before you. So, I realized that a number of them, you know, I've been able to a lot of persons have been able to build certain things for themselves and others are trying to get into the same field, but they don't have an idea on how to go about it. So, I sort of help them bridge the gap. I have conversation with these persons and then they listen to it and can learn anything from there. For example, um I interviewed a YouTuber who started a YouTube channel with his smartphones and now he's a really big YouTuber in Nigeria that has over 150,000 um, subscribers and he's doing really well but then people look at the big things now and and you know they they feel oh this guy is big and he's really you know doing it well and they envy that not knowing that he started from a point where nothing was working for him so mm-hmm. I let people share those stories so that young people can also understand that there is a process to things it didn't just start as a big person it started from you know a very small place worked his way up to what he's doing right now, and you know those conversations have actually helped a ton of persons to understand that it's not really about the destination. Now it's the process that matters. So start something and give yourself, you know, time. Eventually, if you if you put in the work, you would get something. You make something up for yourself. So um, I create content like that, so because I I knew how difficult it was to start up and to maintain what you started. And I saw that mistake in a few friends and I was like, let me just use my own experiences to help them and see if this, can, if this can work. And it did. And I stuck with it. So I love that. So you've got the Simple Creative
0: Podcast, you've got YouTube, you do Instagram as well. Yeah. And I know you're doing that from a point of view of helping others, but do you find it helps you in your business
1: as well? Yeah, it actually does. Um, I didn't know this until I started to see a very, like, it was strange at first because when you're building something like this, um, it's not always interesting because not many people would understand it. Like, nobody understood why I was doing a video podcast at first. Nobody understood why I was creating Instagram content every day without resting. But then it got to, I didn't understand it as well when I started. I just wanted to be able to put myself out there and help people. And then I realized that people started to refer me to to others about design, and I never used to act, like advertise my design business on Instagram. All I focused on was creating content that was helping people. So I realized that as I was giving value to people and I was helping them, they were probing into more about me I wanted to understand what else does this, does this guy do aside from the content he's creating on Instagram. And mm-hmm. then people found my business page where I show my designs, and then... You know, the influence grew from my personal brand to my business. And that's one thing I learned, you know, while studying about branding and, you know, the business of design. You can actually use your person, your personal brand to build your business. Because more persons know you as a person before they would, you know, know your brand. And that's one thing I, you know, that's one, there's a particular saying that people buy from people, not brands or not businesses. Because I wouldn't buy from a business business. I haven't gotten a recommendation for from someone else because Mm. someone else has recommended that business to me. That's why I will go to them. That's because I'm buying from the person who recommended them to me. And I trust that person to some extent. So I was able to build trust using my personal brand such that people were able to see that, Oh, if this guy is this consistent and is this is delivering quality with his content, then that means his business shouldn't be anything less. And it was a good thing at first. I really enjoyed that. So It wasn't something I did. You know, the personal brand I built was able to help my business grow because the more persons knew what I was doing on Instagram, the more they wanted to understand what else do I do? Because if I was excellent at content creation and the podcast and every other thing I was doing, they wanted to understand what else does it do outside that. For example, I didn't know SpaceX. I knew Elon Musk first before I knew SpaceX. And that was because him as a person is someone people talk about a lot and then that led Mm -hmm. me to understand and try to understand what else does this guy do or why do people talk about him so much and then that led to you know the business and I knew and I started to understand every other thing he's been doing and all the other businesses and ventures he has so I was able to leverage my personal brand to help me grow my business also
0: yeah We'll
1: put links, of course, at beingfreelance.com
0: so you can check out uh, the Simple Creative and the YouTube and all of these things. Now, what about the sort of businesses that you work with? Are most of your clients local or, or yeah, where, where's your work coming from?
1: So uh, about 70% comes from um, outside Nigeria and, you know, the rest are local. Um, at some point, I was working with only Nigerian-based brands because, I wanted to find a way to help people and build, you know, what we have here, so it wouldn't be like everything we see is just um, Coca-Cola branding, like I said at first, and you know, things that were not really good. So mm-hmm. while I was doing that for free, I realized that more persons who had businesses in Nigeria were not so con- they didn't really understand the idea of branding. They didn't really understand what marketing is and all these other things. They just want to start a business and let it grow. So I was able to figure out that if I could help them, you know, understand what you're doing and how they can make sales using design or leveraging um, design and social media, then maybe I can have a market in that space. So um, while I'm doing the branding for you, I'm also taking you through the basics of social media marketing, um, how to leverage social media for your business, and everything in between. So I was teaching what I do as a personal brand for these businesses so they can also mm-hmm. leverage that. Um, because I've been able to grow a social following to a certain extent, I was able to tell them that, okay, so I was, I've been able to do this. Few, like I was able to build a community of 10,000 followers on Instagram within a year or two. You can also do this thing for your business, and then I share and I, I, I teach them how to do that. So while I'm doing that, it's making them you know much more um knowledgeable about business in itself. And you know, while that was going on, I felt things were not really still working out well because I wasn't really earning as much as I, I, I would love to. So I started working with brands outside Nigeria and you know businesses as well. And for them, it's only branding I do for businesses outside Nigeria because they understand all the marketing and everything. They just need their visual ideas to come to life, and then I do that. So I knew I was able to understand the different markets and offer the services I know will be best for you know these different places. I can't be doing the same thing I'm doing for the local clients, for those outside, because it will be too much work, and I will break down. So I focus on branding only for businesses outside Nigeria and UI, that's a user interface. And then in Nigeria, I do the branding, I do social media marketing and um, um, leveraging social media for for businesses. And yeah. And how are those companies outside of Nigeria finding you? So I can't really say because I just do the work I need to do for them, putting my best. Um, there's this thing I, I I I apply to my you know work, which is under promise and over deliver. So I don't really put myself as iron lofted or lifted or something. I just you know make them come based on what they've heard before. And when I'm delivering the results, I make it extraordinary because I know that my business strives based on referrals and recommendations. So I put in my best for any project. So um I don't ask them how have you seen my services? I, 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 I'm not comfortable with that because I never learned how to do that. But then I, I've i heard, you know, a few times from the recommendations that, you know, that they sent to me or the referrals that this person's job that he did was really good. We loved it. Can you do something for us that is also good and of that quality? So even the
0: ones outside of Nigeria are coming via referrals. Yeah. Because everything you're doing with Instagram, YouTube, and what have you, it's, it's it's on a global basis. Exactly.
1: So um, yeah. I I was very careful not to limit myself to the Nigerian market mm. because when a digital age, I'm, I don't have a, I have a workspace and a studio, but then I don't. It's not like I'm operating a physical business and my services are not um, location based. So I can be working with someone in Italy, and we probably haven't maybe had maybe one video call to just discuss business and what they need, and then I go ahead and do the rest. Everything is email communication until the presentation. So that works for me, and I was able to leverage that quickly. So that pushed me to get comfortable with video and just be able to, you know, communicate that way. And not limiting myself to the Nigerian market, you know, exposed me to the idea that design is global. And it's it's just a it's a way of life for most pre- for me actually it's a way of life for me so if I can use that to connect with more persons then I can build a business out of it and when I realized that part it became seamless like it became really really interesting so I'm talking to someone okay let me just add this all these referrals actually happened because of Nigerians in you know these other places and then from there I started working with you know different different other persons and other, like, um, countries, or because mm-hmm. I was able to do something good for the local community here, and then maybe their friends or someone just saw it. Some- okay, see, the thing is, once I do a design and maybe someone shares it on Instagram or on Facebook, someone, anybody, anywhere can see it, and we may admire it and say, oh, I want to work with the person who did this. So I put mm-hmm. a lot of effort into... Any design it is, any any job, no matter what location it is, I put a lot of effort into it because I don't know who is seeing it from anywhere. Like I got like my biggest client I've gotten so far happened through um yeah, I, So I have a Pixels account where I, I I create stock photos. That was how that happened. You understand? So it wasn't like I I I was looking for them. I just decided to put myself out there. And put out these resources and make it, you know, to a certain quality. And because it went all out, people saw it. And you know, I was they reached out to me and said, "We want to do this. Can you offer these services?" And I was able to, you know, offer the services for them.
0: Your biggest client came from them following the rabbit hole, basically following the links through from one of your stock photos that you need to put up. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Yeah. And was that a stock photo that was available for free or for
1: purchase? So it was available for free. And um, I did, at the beginning, I didn't know that something like that could actually, you know, become a major deal for me. Because mm. I just put out those pictures because as a designer, I'm always searching for, you know, photos I can use for designs. But I wasn't really finding some about um, of people of color. On certain websites, so I was like, maybe I should create some and use myself as the subject. And then um, I took certain shots: uh, me reading books, me using a smartphone, me using an iPad, me using a computer. Um, a depression-themed photo, and within six months, all these photos went viral. Like, got over like three million views, and was amazing. So uh, that led to more designers using those photos. Because here in Nigeria, we don't really have a lot of resources that we could actually leverage because you're doing a job and you're not really getting paid what you should be getting paid because everybody is saying there's no money. So you decide to just, you know, work with someone so that you can get referrals and build something for yourself. So you need to actually leverage all the free resources you can lay your hands on so you can afford to start paying for resources. So... um, Seeing that it was it was like a, a gold mine for them when they could find someone creating that kind of stock photos for the African community and it was benefiting them and eventually it became something good for me also oh man that's brilliant
0: I feel like there's so much I could talk about'm <laughs> conscious of time <laughs> yeah. um, actually one one thing i mean you, you, you touched upon pricing and costs there. How have you got on with pricing? bearing in mind, of course, that you, you kind of, you're serving your local area as well as, as you, know, you mentioned, somebody in Italy, for example. So how, how do you cope with that?
1: I, I mentioned at first that I learned design and understood design from um, a few persons outside Nigeria. So I realized that their own pressing systems were quite different and it wouldn't be directly applicable to my own local space. So I took that. So I took a period of one year. That was when I was in the free designs to understand the business of design and, um, human interaction and communication too. So while I was doing that, I realized that more persons actually have the money to pay for certain services, but they want to understand what they're paying for and why they should pay for it. So I was able to build a, a, a mindset that anybody that's coming to work with me can pay for my services. I just have to make them understand what they're getting and why they should pay for it. And um, it led to me uh, learning how I make my clients sell themselves to me instead of me selling my services to them. And this is the way it works. If I'm supposed to work with you on a particular project, I don't ask you what your budget is. I just tell you how much you think this project is worth to you. For example, if you want to do a branding project, and you're you're starting up. You you've used a million naira in Nigerian currency to start up your business, and you want to create the branding for your business. For someone who can create a business with a million naira, you shouldn't be paying anything less than let's say three hundred thousand for the branding, because if you can build that much for a business, then you can actually pay for the brand also. So if the brand is what is making you sales. Like, the branding would bring in more sales, then that means you should focus on that. So I allow them to sell themselves to me and tell me what they feel the product is worth. And from whatever it is they tell me, I calculate using that to give them a pricing. And it's been working. Although it's not consistent, but it's been working. So if I can understand my client first, communicate to them and understand um, their, their, their mindset and their mentality, where they're coming from, what kind of business they're starting out, I can then give a price. I don't have a fixed price for my services, but I have a price I don't go below for certain things. For example, if I'm doing a logo, I don't go below a certain price so that mm. I won't be on the losing end. And that is something I'll stop with for the longest time. If I'm going below that price, I either do it for you for free or I don't do it at all. Yeah, love it.
0: Now, Ola Dimiji, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself Okay. to make two true, one a
1: lie. And let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? So, I don't know how to swim. I really love video, but I'm scared to sit in front of the camera. And I'm six foot seven.
0: <laughs> I just love the randomness of six foot seven. Now, are you are you a giant amongst your family or, or is everyone tall? Um, I'm a little bit of a giant. Right, Okay. <laughs> um you're not saying much not giving much away so is that the lie <laughs> uh, you're scared of video though i find that amazing because
1: you feel you look so comfortable on your videos i never used to like video but then because i'm building a personal brand you just have to get comfortable to some extent even though i still don't like right. it
0: and you don't know how to swim have you tried
1: yeah i tried once and it was a total failure, total disaster.
0: Oh, man. Okay. I don't know. Right. Don't know how to swim. I mean, that could be true. Um, of course, if it's a lie, maybe you're going to tell me that actually, you know, you're an Olympic swimmer or something. <laughs> and, you know, Six foot seven. Maybe you took up architecture so you could build houses with bigger doors. <laughs> Scared of video. I can't quite believe that. Well, I, actually, I can. But lots of us do things that we're not comfortable about. So maybe it is that one. Maybe you are that six seven seems like a really weird thing to make (laughs) up. So I'm going to say actually, the
1: lie is the swimming one. All right. Actually, I don't know how to swim. (laughs) You do. I don't. (laughs) Ah, I got excited, but
0: I was right then. So which was the lie? All right. uh, So the lie is six for seven. You're not six for seven. So so that does mean that. You were scared of doing video, though. Yeah. So, yeah. So how how did you get over that? Because I know quite a lot of people feel uncomfortable at first. How did you get past it?
1: I, I haven't gotten past it. I just became comfortable with, you know, with being scared of video, but still have to do it because it's something I have to overcome. I don't think I would ever get to a point where I won't be scared of video. Even there are times where... Um, Before I get jump on on a video call or before I go on a live session, I would first sit the things I'm supposed to say to myself in my room in front of my mirror before I jump on the session, so that I don't get overwhelmed and you know get scared. Uh, I'm the kind of person that anytime I'm uncomfortable, I start sweating, and that gives it gives me out a lot. So uh, I almost document and practice what I would say, but then after a while. Um, okay, so I think it all started from this stage i so I used to have stage fright, and I never used to stand in front of a crowd of fifty or ten, even sometimes, so it was something I actively started to work on right from the university um I took on this particular um responsibility of the class um representative and then addressed the class of thirty and then from there, I started doing certain things in the church where I would address you know the congregation once in a while. And then from there, I became convenient with addressing it to a point where I addressed a crowd of over 3,000. So um, when I was was able to do that, I realized that I could apply the same thing to video, even though I'm still scared of crowds, but I can apply the same thing to videos. And um, yeah, it's, it's something I'm okay with now, even though sometimes I still get scared.
0: Nice. Now,
1: if you could tell your younger
0: self one thing about being freelance, what would that be?
1: I would say... Do everything you did exactly the same way you did it, but this time around, start early. Interesting. Because I mean it feels like you did start early. When would you have started? Okay, so <laughs> I could have started while I was in the secondary school, like that's high school. Wow. Yeah. Because then um I had a few I had I had resources that was readily available because in the school I attended There was, you know, the likes of, there was like steady internet, there was um, a lot of resources to just learn these things, but the knowledge of the social space was not there yet. So I couldn't leverage because I had no idea or no knowledge about these things. And by the time I was getting into that, you know, that space um, in my first year of the university, I realized that, come on, there were people who learned these things when I was in secondary school or in high school. And right now, they've gone miles ahead. But I'm like, because they've gone miles ahead doesn't mean you can't catch up. And catching up, I mean, follow your own path and do what you can do. Don't really compare yourself with others. So I'm saying start early in the sense that the moment I thought about so I had an idea to start something while I was still in, the, in high school. If I had started then, then I would have you know, come a long way from then now. So if I started early and I do the same things I did, exactly the same way I did it, then that means I'll be far, you know, far forward in life right now than where I am currently.
0: Yeah. It's been so good to speak to you. Make sure you go to beingfreelance.com. There are for all of our guests. There's always links through. Really recommend uh, you check out Simple Creative. Check out the podcast, the video, um, follow on Instagram. So go to beingfreelance.com. You'll also find show notes and transcripts. Uh, There's a link through so you can come and join the community, join freelancers from around the world. And if you're just getting started being freelance, of course, there's the course to help you as well. But for now, Ola DiMigi, it's been so good. to talk to you and all the best
1: being freelance oh this was amazing thank you so much Okay, there goes
0: Oli Demiji. How nice is he? Make sure you go check out those links and see what he's doing on Instagram and YouTube in particular, as well as his podcast. Clearly, you're into podcasts. Hopefully, you'll enjoy his too. Uh, This Being Freelance podcast, as always, is made by me, Steve Follin. I make podcasts and videos for a living, sure. But I basically have been running this for the past six years because I love to. And you can support it by going to beingfreelance.com slash coffee and topping up my virtual... Biscuit tin if you fancy doing that. Thanks also to Sophie Livingston at Kickstart Content who helps me with the website of things. So she uploads each episode and does the show notes and takes care of that. Thank you so much. And for that matter, she has created a summary of this recent book club that we did where we chatted about Steve Morgan's anti cell So if you want to find out what the Being Freelance community members who rocked up to book club thought about that earlier this week when we met on Zoom, you can read a summary of it now online, beingfreelance.com. And if you fancy being part of the book club in the future, make sure you join the community. All right, I'm out of here. You have a great week. Being freelance.